Hey y'all, it's The Link Up. It's Raina Jasmine and Lauren. It's The Link Up, the podcast created for the Melanated Millennials maneuvering our way through life. Yes. yes. How are y'all doing today? What's up, y'all? You know, making it, living, learning. Yeah, killing it. Not too cold. The weather hasn't gotten too cold for y'all. You know I'm in Louisiana, so the most I'm ever going to need is a cardigan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm freezing. I mean, the minute it's like 60 degrees, I'm like, wow, scarf. (laughs) Wow, Pico to the ground. (laughs) What's that massive puffer jacket you have, Raina? Yeah, what is that called? It's like you're in an igloo. Oh, I have two because, you know, I'm prepared for the winter Okay, what's the name of them? There's one North Face jacket that I have. Literally recommend it because it is insulated. And then I have my Nike puffer coat that goes all the way to the ground. Mm. Both are amazing, worth every penny. I just know Raina looks like she came straight from the North Pole with the okay. thing going when I see her. Yep, and I be feeling like I'm on the beach whenever I'm walking Very in warm. There. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope that you guys are staying warm out there wherever you are. And it's time to move into my favorite part of the podcast, y'all. Can y'all guess? Yep. Our BBWA moment. Our Being Black and White America moment. Brought to you by none other than our ancestors. I'll take this BBWA moment, you guys. Okay. In fact, all of you, especially you guys in this room, know what I'm talking about. Y'all been there. In fact, you guys were there whenever I was experiencing this moment. So you guys have heard or know of the book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? It is a book that basically explores why black children or black people always like group together in scenarios where there might be majority white people in the area. Um, Obviously, it's a very deep-rooted book. It goes into, like, systematic oppression and everything like that, but it's a real effect that happens to kids, adults, and minorities everywhere. Mm -hmm. Definitely happened to us whenever we were in law school. We went to a predominantly white law school there are, I don't know, the law school is probably 10% minority. So when you walk in the first day of class, you're like, oh, my people are over there. Let me go over there. Let me sit by them. It's a comforting space, and that's where I'm going to be at. So we found ourselves going from class to class to class, and there would be just a black dot in the corner in a sea of white people in every single class. (laughs) Every single class. So true. Mm-hmm. It's just us. So we had to really, like, come together and be like, all right, these white people looking at us crazy. So we literally spoke <laughs> to each other, yes. had basically a secret black meeting, <laughs> and came to the conclusion yes. that in every class, no more than two sitting next to each other. No, no more than two. No more than two per no row. That was the two. strategy. Two per row. So it went from... I don't even know. I couldn't even say 15 because there was really no, never that many. Six. Six. Yeah, we had six. Six in one group to one over here, one over here, two over here, one in the corner. Purposely. So we didn't fall into that stereotype. And people didn't look at us like, oh, the black kids over there. 
Yeah. Wow. I think it's so unfortunate, though, because I don't feel like any other race has to think about that. Mm-mm. When, you know, our white counterparts want to sit together and cling together. It's fine. No one questions them. Even our Asians or Hispanics, like Indians, like when those groups want to sit together and hang together and be around each other, they don't think about like, well, let me try to spread, spread it out a bit and spread out so that I won't be perceived in a certain way, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's crazy because we we definitely experienced that in law school. But I was talking to someone else who is in his late 50s and even in his corporate setting, it's him who is, he is a black male and one other co-worker that's black. They are the only two blacks in their um, corporation. And he was telling me that they did the same thing. And it was so crazy, like in meetings or at work events, they never go together while they're there. They feel like they have to kind of work the room, move around, can't really walk around and get together or spend too much time together because they don't want to be seen exactly as what you're saying, like stereotyped into like, you know, the blacks only hang with the blacks or whatever. The black kids over there. But it's just it's so crazy that we have to think about that. Like mm-hmm. no other group is thinking about that. Just think of the pressures of law school already at, tacked on with, okay, guys. How are they perceiving me? Right. Let's all spread out. Like, even though we were in an uncomfortable environment and we're kind of each other's, like, safe space, let's completely get rid of that just so we can feel like they're not looking and judging us. They're not judging us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Making the white people feel comfortable. Feel comfortable. Yeah. That's what we're we're doing. Even though we're uncomfortable, making the white people feel comfortable so that we can all just work in this space. Right. That's crazy. It is crazy. It is. And I think also to kind of tie that in a little bit with our topic for today is us being more concerned about other people mm-hmm. over our own health and our own peace and our own uh, whatever we feel that would make us happy. And so today our topic is it be your own people. Mm, your own people. Yeah, and I feel wow. like we're in this environment where you hear a lot of people talk about cutting toxic people off. You know, cutting to- off toxic friendships, cutting off toxic uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I don't think that we hear verbalized a lot is toxic family members. Mm-hmm. I was reading and it was a mental health journal and it was actually an, ex- an excerpt written by a Hampton student named Jordan Edwards. And this is just a quote from her article, but it says that psychological distress tends to be a generational matter in black families, something that our parents have from their parents. And unfortunately, we gradually become a part of the cycle. We see our parents struggling to cope with emotional damage from their childhood and unintentionally bring it into our own lives. A child's troubles are not addressed because their parents' troubles never were when they were younger. And so I think this article was just talking about something that is pretty hushed in the black community. And that is toxic families. What do y'all think about that? Like, do y'all believe in the fact that family members can be toxic? Do y'all subscribe to that? Or do you think maybe people put too much weight on family members' opinions or things that they do or say? Where are y'all coming from with that? I think that that is definitely a thing. And I think that what makes 
the family dynamic a little different is that a lot of times they are being toxic unknowingly, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of it is just generational. Mm-hmm. For example, generational mindsets and perspectives can be passed on to children and their children's children and so on and so on. And no one ever takes a moment to stop and think like, let me challenge, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? These thoughts of worry, these thoughts of always being anxious, you know, these negative thoughts are not necessarily my own, but they're a perspective that I inherited. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that way, families can be toxic, not necessarily only by their actions or by conscious things that they're doing, but even mindsets Mm -hmm. can be passed on that make family dynamics toxic. And I think that that's what I've seen the most of like, just like different mindsets being passed on and man, overcoming that. And I think obviously therapy and and other measures can help you overcome those things. But I definitely agree with that quote. A hundred percent. I think I can relate it most to the work that I do. Um, I mean, at this point in my career as an attorney, I've handled at least well over a thousand, fifteen hundred probably domestic violence cases. I always bring victims into my office. I interview them and every single time I interview them, I ask them, do you know that you deserve better? Nobody deserves abuse. Mm -hmm. And I think 85, I would almost say 90% of the time, they say no. Mm. I don't. Wow. I don't. And then when we're diving deep into you know their history of abuse it's because they saw a parent or a grandparent or whoever someone in their family get abused as well wow and so unfortunately her people hurt other people and that's what happens so they saw that hurt and then they participated in the hurt or they accepted the hurt Right. I think it's also like our failure to realize that there is a lot of brokenness in black families Mm -hmm. and we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, we don't acknowledge it. And then we can't do anything about it. Like Jay-Z said, you can't heal what you never reveal. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because like I feel like we talk about things that are very extreme and we talk about more extreme circumstances. But what we don't focus on, which is just as toxic in the, the, the quantity standpoint, is smaller things that may not necessarily mean that you were physically abused, but emotional abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or maybe certain ways that you feel that you grew up seeing men treat women, or maybe Mm -hmm. certain ways that you grew up seeing men talk to women. And although it may not have been physical, you never were taught to respect women because you saw how your father treated your mother, or you saw how your mother talked to your father, or you saw how, you know, your mother treated your sisters. All these things are very toxic generational curses that keep going on and on and on and just has have infiltrated our community and we fail to focus on it so we don't fix it Mm -hmm. it could even be that you're an absent so you grew up with an absent parent so now i'm absent to my child Mm -hmm. well the first step would be acknowledging it right yeah but the second step would be what would you do to stop this from happening right what can you do to break this generational curse there's something that um, my mom told me about how she kind of learned how to be a parent in certain instances. Mm -hmm. And she told me, you know, certain things that she may have liked that she saw 
She did. But things that she didn't like that she saw or she may have experienced, she worked extremely hard to make sure that she didn't do it. Because sometimes if it's something that we've grown up with, something that we've always seen, it's comfortable for us for to fall back into that. And if we don't actively work to make sure that we are not doing something that we're so used to, we can fall into it. And so that's something that I think we can do to kind of break these generational curses or kind of break this trauma that we may have experienced as a child to make sure we don't put that on our own children is to focus in and hone in on that and actively work to not be that way. That's a lot of self-awareness that's going on right there. And self-awareness is really hard especially if you might already be in that situation. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you find yourself inflicting the same abuse or the same neglect on your children and you, even though you didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I think self-awareness comes into play because it's like, what can I do to turn the situation around? Mm -hmm. This child is four or five years old. He doesn't have to grow or she doesn't have to grow up with this their whole lives. Mm -hmm. Like, let me stop it now before I continue to inflict this generational trauma on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, you know, apart from abuse or even even through the lens of abuse, it's okay to set boundaries. Yeah. You know, I think understanding that obviously the family dynamic is is very hard because these are people who you love, mm-hmm. you know, these are people who love you and it's it, like you you don't choose your family, right? So What's it can quote? be hard. <laughs> you can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family no. to right. kill exactly. a mockingbird. You can get rid of your partner. You can get rid of your friends. You can tell them they don't want to be your friend anymore, but your DNA is always going to be linked to your family. Exactly. So with right. that being said, understanding that it's okay to set boundaries with family members. You and it's know? okay to make them respect the boundaries that you set. Exactly. Or even for some people, it's okay to take a time out from certain family mm-hmm. members. You know, it's okay to take a little time away if that's necessary, depending on the extent of how toxic the the dynamic is. But I think also on a on a different note, if it is a thought process or a mentality that you've inherited... You know, some people grew up in very negative households. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean very, very, very pessimistic type of lifestyles or approaches. You know, and that stuff is easily passed down just like any other trauma. Correct. Or behaviors. Correct. Or habits, you know. And so I think that even outside of things that can be passed down generationally, but thinking about it through the lens of just toxic thoughts. Understanding that it's so important to take captive of every thought. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. Mm -hmm. And so there's this process of like first acknowledging that that thought is toxic, but immediately throwing that thought to God. Mm -hmm. You know, and for some people that may look like prayer or whatever, but immediately recognizing that this is a toxic thought kind of what you're saying about being self-aware and throwing that thought back, you know, restructuring how you're thinking about something immediately. Do not dwell on those things. And I think just setting certain boundaries, even such as that, like around how you're thinking can really contribute to breaking the cycle of, of, of 
toxic things that can be passed along. Right. And if you grew up in that in that type of environment and you're working extremely hard to get rid of those toxic thoughts, it may be a good time that maybe a portion of your boundary is to not be around that family member that is always bringing back that negativity. Mm-hmm. I saw this quote and it was talking about, you know, whenever you have set boundaries and maybe they're just not respecting those boundaries. And it was saying that severing ties is not to punish, but to protect. Right. So it's not like you're punishing your family or, you're, you know, you're not trying to punish that toxic family member, but what you're trying to protect is your peace in yourself. And sometimes that means a break. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. And sometimes we have to take the extra step for our friends or our partners because they might not be self-aware and not ready to be Mm self-aware. And then they're just struggling Mm -hmm. because self-awareness is very hard Mm -hmm. and not everyone is going to be all right, I know what it is. It's my toxic family. And everybody's not ready to take that next step to make their life better. Right. And if they're not, once again, severing ties is not to punish, but to protect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to be there to support, like, your friends and family and partner to be able to do that. Absolutely. Because it's not something that you can do, not everyone can do on their own. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard, especially when you are talking about family. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's so easy to talk about cutting off friends, cutting off relationships. But when you talk about people that are a part of you, it's just a whole nother step. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading this this book by Debbie Ford. It's the 21-Day Consciousness Cleanse that I was telling y'all about. And this excerpt that I'm going to read is just a portion of a prayer. That day was focusing on toxicity. And this portion of the prayer goes, I give to you all the pain that I've been unable to let go of. Today, I ask that you turn what has formerly been toxic into fuel for my future. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. really good. When I read that, I was like, oh, bookmark. Yeah. yeah <laughs> turning, definitely. W- turning what's toxic into fuel for your future. Yeah. Absolutely. No matter what the source of that toxic thing is. Mm-hmm. And what the situation is, like, you want to be better for yourself. You want to be better for your family. You want to be better for the future. So right. you have yeah. to turn it around. Right. Turn around. And sometimes the Change only control the that you have is one over the rest of your life and over the life of your children. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I may not be able to stop this family member from being this way. But what I can do is to stop allowing that family member to negatively affect me because that then in turn negatively affects my children. Right. Yeah. And right. this is the only way to break the cycle. Definitely. Turn it into fuel for your future, guys. Absolutely. Yes. Now it's time for our chances. Chances. All right, y'all. A little hint. Those are my She ready. Oh, I know who this is. (laughs) She ready. She ready. Tiffany Haddish, you guys. Tiffany Haddish has, man, a great story of just overcoming in general. Tiffany, obviously we know her as an amazing actress and an even better comedian. But... If you don't know, Tiffany, prior to her success, had to grapple with a very troubled childhood. Her father walked out on her family when she was three. Her mother ended up having a very traumatic accident, which caused severe brain damage, which led to mental illness. And so as a result, 
Tiffany spent a lot of her years in foster care. Wow. Yeah. And so she actually talks about how she was able to overcome all of that through her ability to make other people laugh. Mm. And so that's kind of like the source of her comedy. But I think what's so cool about Tiffany talking about fueling, you know, allowing tox- toxic experiences and f- dynamics to f- be the fuel for your future. That's exactly what she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She allowed her traumatic experiences to literally fuel her into what she is in not, which is just being super successful at what she does. Yeah. Because she turned her pain into laughter and she didn't let that stop her, but she let it propel her. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is really what's key. No matter who it was, she could easily use all of those things as an excuse. Mm-hmm. To not become successful. To sit down, to inflict that harm upon her other family members. Exactly. Instead, she turned it around and made herself a success. Yes, exactly. A raving success. Exactly, exactly. So for that, man, shout out to Tiffany. We love you. And we are so, so happy that you allowed your past to be the fuel for your future. And you're inspiring us to do the same. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you, Tiff. Shine, sis. Shine, sis. Shine. That's all, y'all. Oh, I like this episode. Yeah. This, this was potentially good. heavy, but I really hope that our listeners hold on to that last piece. And yeah. Because yeah. if you're in a negative situation, if you're in a toxic situation, you can always turn it around. It's yep. n- it doesn't never have too to late. stop. It's never too late at any moment. You can turn it around. So if anything, if you get anything from this episode, it is that. Turn it around. You can do it. Yeah. Allow it to fuel you. Fuel it for your future. Y'all ready to eat? Yes. I'm always ready. (laughs) Been ready. (laughs) All right, guys. Bye. All right, y'all.